Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Some people believe in the paranormal, some do not, and some see the paranormal as a challenge. Today's story sees a group of four friends embarking on an adventure into the wilderness to perform a ritual. This adventure takes a dark turn in more ways than one in a ritual that has gone terribly, terribly wrong. Welcome listeners, I bring you the horror story, I Visited the Seven Gates of Hell Part 1 and 2, by Dakota Vought, Mystery, The Paranormal, Rituals, Cults, and more. Let me draw you in as the story has drawn me in, and get comfortable. Pour yourself a lovely warm Earl Grey, turn off the lights, turn up the sound, and get ready for something creepy. I visited the Seven Gates of Hell, Part 1. Have you ever heard of the Seven Gates of Hell? It's a hugely popular paranormal site in rural Pennsylvania, surrounded by urban legend and horror stories. I always took it for granted how popular that site was, growing up only 15 miles down the road, but apparently it's a nationwide phenomenon that some people travel hundreds of miles to visit. Now, I've never been one to believe in the paranormal, and not just ghosts and the like, anything that didn't have concrete evidence that I could see or feel was hard for me. I was just a logically based person, I'm sure you know the type. My friends, however, were all in that phase of young adulthood that involved needing to find proof of some kind of ghost demon, or otherworldly entity. We were all sophomores in high school, and our evenings consisted of all sorts of ghost hunting adventures such as going out into the woods behind Maddie's house and using a pendulum to try and speak with the spirit, using a Ouija board, and even trying to create a makeshift summoning portal out of kitchen supplies. None of it ever really worked. Sure, the pendulum swung, but it was windy, and everyone knows that Ouija boards are just controlled by whoever is touching it, wanting to make a spooky scene. I was always there, playing along and having fun, but never truly believing anything. That is why when Kenny brought up going to the Seven Gates of Hell, I was all for it. Aside from the fact that the thing was dripping in paranormal lore, there was an actual story behind it as well. In the early 1800s, there was an asylum in Hellum, Pennsylvania. This was back in the days where those that were admitted were not treated great. I don't need to tell you the things that happened to those admitted into asylums before 1900s. One evening, that asylum caught fire and started a blaze for the centuries. Due to its location in the middle of the woods, it took fire response teams well over 20 minutes to get to the scene. And by that point, well, there was no point. Most of the occupants in Helm Asylum were burnt alive, and while a few escaped into the forest, many were found dead later in the surrounding area due to smoke inhalation, starvation, or ripped apart by animals. All quite gruesome deaths, 
I wanted to see the remnants of the asylum that were allegedly still there, past the sixth gate. It was a Friday night when we went, leaving our home at 10pm, so that we could try to be at the asylum by 3am, the witching hour. There were five of us, Kenny, Maddie, Andrew, Lauren, and myself, all piled into Kenny's single row pickup truck. So, what are you guys hoping to find out there? I ask. I know supposedly there were the ghosts of the asylum inmates, but other than that, I didn't know too much about the law. You know, the usual ghosts, demons, whatever wants to show itself to us. Kenny stated matter-of-factly. At first, Maddie and Lauren actually seemed a little tense, which was strange. This was the kind of thing we did all the time. It was Lauren that spoke next. Well, it depends on how deep in the woods we get. I heard Anders and Lawrence went by themselves last week, and couldn't even get past the third gate. Said that they started hearing voices and seeing eyes in the woods. Spooked them real good. I suppressed a laugh. Anders and Lawrence were basically the class clown of our high school, and taking anything they said seriously was almost as much of a joke as whatever it was they said. Yeah, and I've heard that if you can make it past the seventh gate, then you get sent directly to hell. Never to return, Maddie said, her eyes scanning the woods to our right. Assuming that hell is real, that is, I chime in, achieving a punch to the arm from Andrew. After about a 45-minute drive, we arrive at the broken-down street sign that says Toad Road, the alleged beacon of where the gates are to start. Okay, everyone shut up. You all have your flashlights and knives? Kenny asked. We had been instructed to bring flashlights for obvious reasons, and knives. I guess to feel more safe from the ghosts? I know I brought one in case of a coyote which were more popular in the area than I would like to remember. An actual threat. We all nodded in his direction, signalling our two items. Great. So about an eighth of a mile in the forest here should be a rusted gate. That is the first gate, and once we cross it... We will be in the devil's territory, Kenny said, with a smirk on his face. I hope he's ready. I rolled my eyes and shot a smile at Maddie, who was looking a little bit nervous still. I put my arm around her and whispered to her that everything was going to be alright, and maybe they would finally find something of substance so we can put this dumb paranormal stuff behind us and move on to the next fad. Kenny would soon turn around and lead us into the woods. It took us about five minutes to reach the gate that he had spoken of. I honestly didn't see what the big deal was. It was a bit strange for the rusted iron gate to be sitting in the middle of the woods, not attached to anything and being overgrown with vines and weeds. But scrap metal is found everywhere. There wasn't a huge significance. The others seemed a mixture of elated and nervous at the same time. So what is supposed to happen after we cross? I ask, preparing myself for the made-up shenanigans I will be experiencing soon. The first gate isn't much. According to the legend, since we are the furthest away from the asylum, there are the least amount of spirits here. They will likely try to push you around, so you may feel a bit of pressure, but that's about it. Oh, also, our phones will probably go out here. Electronics don't work in the gates. So please stay close, and if you get separated from the group, just go back to the car 
so you don't get hopelessly lost. I left it unlocked since we are in the middle of nowhere. Kenny banged his flashlight twice on the metal bars of the gates, causing bits of rust to spark into the air around it. Then, with a theatrical performance, he stepped to the other side of the gate. I was next to follow, and then the rest of the group, and unsurprisingly, I felt no different. We walked for a few more minutes, and I went to check my phone. It had shut off. Which was strange, because the battery life had been at almost 80% when we left the car. I guess cell service just doesn't work this far out in the country. So all of your phones are actually off, then? I ask, making sure I'm not the only one. One by one they check, and one by one they agree with me. I'm more concerned about us getting pulled apart from each other than the fact that maybe this could be a paranormal interaction. Maddie is particularly freaked out by this. Guys, I don't know. This feels a little bit too real for me, Maddie said nervously, looking back towards the way we came, probably judging whether the social repercussions of going and waiting in the car and being called a baby inevitably by the rest of the group was worth it. Oh, stop. It's fine. Worst comes to worst, we'll all die in a poltergeist extravaganza. Kenny said, not helping. We continued walking. The next gate was about a mile deeper, and we weren't moving super quickly. So, Kenny, what is supposed to happen? Ow! Andrew stopped himself mid-sentence and glanced down at his leg. He pulled up his jeans to mid-calf to reveal a large cut spanning about four inches on the backside of his lower leg. What happened? I asked, looking around with the flashlight, attempting to find any thorn bushes or other culprits. I felt a light tapping on my shoulder and turned around to see who it was, only to find no one was there. Maddie, Lauren, and Kenny were all standing next to Andrew, and I was alone where I stood. Okay. Weird. I'll admit. I don't know. I was just walking and it hurt. Then this. Andrew said, motioning towards his leg. I mean, it's not that bad. Just unexpected is all. Let's keep going. We made it to the next gate a few minutes later. Only Maddie complaining of feeling like she was getting shoved to the side. She compared it to when you're walking next to someone who is leaning into you. She was scared though. And placebo is a strong thing, especially in the paranormal, so I chose to ignore that. Alright, gate 2 is right here. On the other side of this gate, according to legend, you start feeling as if you're being followed. The pushing continues, only stronger. Oh, and there is a cult that guards the third gate at the end. So you know, watch out for them. Kenny, who had apparently not felt any presences during the first gate, and was obviously feeling a little more light-hearted than the rest of the group, pressed on without question. It was about halfway through the second gate that we encountered our first problem. Maddie's flashlight died. She swore up and down that she had fresh batteries in it, but nonetheless, we were short one. Maddie huddled close to me, and used the light from mine as we continued down the imaginary path that Kenny was leading for us. About a quarter of a mile past the second gate, we heard a scream. I whipped around and saw Lauren on the ground, a wild look in her eyes. As she looked back and forth so quickly, I was afraid she might break her neck. We all looked at her inquisitively. 
I... I don't know what happened. It felt like someone just speared me. Lauren shouted, panic growing in her voice. I walked over to her and offered her a hand to get up. I'm serious, guys. I felt like I got tackled. I didn't just dive onto the ground and scream for no reason. Lauren shook off my hand and pushed herself up, rejoining us, shock in her face and Andrew's. Kenny clearly didn't believe her, and Maddie looked like she was on the verge of tears. As we walked, I got the increasing sensation that I was being stalked. I began looking around for the signs of a coyote, attributing the sensation to that, but I couldn't see anything that would alert me to the presence of wildlife. In fact, now that I was thinking about it, there was a surprising lack of wildlife altogether. Guys, hold up for a second. Be quiet. I asked everyone, and they all were happy to oblige. Not that anyone was really talking that much anyway. As everyone stopped, I felt a pit in my stomach start to grow. There wasn't a single noise being made. No crickets, no wind, no leaf cracking in the distance. Complete silence. That's strange, isn't it? The lack of sound? I stated my concerns aloud. I really think we should turn back. That feeling of being shoved down? That was enough for me. I... I don't want to mess with this stuff anymore. I'm serious. Lauren shivered as she spoke, despite the relatively warm night. Honestly, I'm down to turn around too. It's getting pretty late. Andrew spoke next, his eyes not necessarily frightened, but definitely on edge. Are you all being serious right now? Come on, we drove all the way here. We are not turning back now. Kenny said, his voice dejected. He threw his hand in the air in a fit. No, I think we should keep going. I just thought it was weird, is all. I threw back. I felt it again, after I said that. The tapping on my shoulder. As if someone was trying to get my attention but didn't want to speak. I turned my head, knowing there would be nothing there. And not being surprised when there wasn't. Uh, how much further to the third gate? It should be right around here. Let's go. Kenny swung his flashlight around and started walking again, not giving anyone else the chance to disagree. After another two or three minutes, we landed back on the road that appeared seemingly out of nowhere. There was no sound of traffic, obviously, and there was no paint on the road. It just seemed like concrete in the wilderness. The feeling of being watched was almost overwhelming now. And I have to admit, it has started freaking me out a little bit at this point. I could see in the distance another gate sitting at the end of the road. This one felt different though. Maybe because it was decidedly less rusted and antique looking. Or maybe it was because it was in a place that actually made sense for a gate to go, instead of being in the middle of the forest. Somehow it just felt strange. When we were about 10 yards away from the gate, I heard Maddie start to sob. <laughs> I turned to ask her what was wrong, and I saw utter terror in her eyes. I will never forget that look. I asked what was wrong, and she couldn't even speak. She just pointed to the sides of the roads, 
in the darkness, where the road dropped off into more grass and trees, sitting just along the edge of our vision, were bright green eyes. Hundreds of them. It took all of five seconds for the rest of our small group to see what Maddie did. Those green eyes, unnaturally bright in the darkness of the forest surrounding them. Lauren let out a shriek, and Andrew just about jumped out of his skin despite not actually making a scream. I swear Kenny actually smiled. As if he was happy to finally have something to talk about. His smile didn't last. I know he wants to see something metaphysical more than any of the rest of us. But even for him, this felt like more than we bargained for. One by one, what felt like thousands of men stepped out of the shrubbery on either side of the road, each holding some sort of weapon. My heart dropped. Maddie is clinging onto me, her face shoved into my chest, sobbing. Andrew looks distant, like his brain wouldn't allow him to process the situation. Lauren was also crying silent tears, and Kenny had an awful grimace that came from trying to look like he wasn't scared to preserve his social status, and actually shitting his pants. The figures were silent as they approached. They were humanoid in shape, but something about them was distinctly wrong. Maybe it was the way they appeared darker than they should have, even as they got closer and our flashlights could reach them. Maybe it was the way they seemed to float instead of walk as they moved. Or maybe it was the noise that emitted from them. It was subtle, a small static like white noise. But it's amazing how loud things sound when you haven't heard noise at all in the last 45 minutes. Three of the figures maneuvered themselves between us and the third gate, their gaze never breaking from our own. One stepped forward, his hands wrapped around what appeared to be a shotgun, the other two clutching giant clubs made of wood and scrap metal. You will turn around now. The voice didn't come from the man with the shotgun, but rather boomed through the air, as if the world itself was speaking to us. Of course, my initial reaction was to turn around and get right the fuck out of there, as was everyone that was sane in our group. Kenny, however, stared forward with more purpose and drive than I've ever seen. He had finally done it. He had contacted and seen with his own two eyes something from another world. We all had. However, unlike the rest of us, it hadn't frightened Kenny. It made him want to know more. No, no. We are going to keep going. This is public land. You can't stop us. I don't believe that you will pull that trigger. Kenny spoke back to the creatures with a calm precision. He really meant what he was saying, and I couldn't understand how. I fought every urge in my body to turn around and bolt, and I walked forward to put my hand on Kenny's shoulder. We need to go, man. I don't think these guys are fucking around. We need to go. I put emphasis at the end of the sentence, hoping that my good friend was just in some kind of shock-induced state of overconfidence. I turned him around to look at the rest of us instead of them. Look at Maddie and Lauren. 
I pointed at the two girls, the former's head in her hands trying to avoid her surroundings, and the latter sitting down next to Maddie, trying to put on a tough face and hardly succeeding. What? Do you want a chicken out? Just like Anders? This is all just meant to scare us, okay, Daniel? Nothing is going to happen. A crack once again pierced the night. I knew instantly that the shotgun had been fired. I didn't even have time to scream before Kenny was gone. I don't mean gone, as in dead. I mean gone. Ceased to be around. There was no trace of him. One moment he was talking to me, and the next my hand was no longer on the shoulder of my childhood best friend, but rather floating through air back to my side. The figures were gone too. Kenny! Kenny! I shouted into the nothingness. The sound was gone again, along with the creatures, so my voice felt like it would travel miles, but nothing came back. I turned back to everyone else, and they looked as petrified as I was. Where is he, Daniel? He was just right there. You had your damn hand on his shoulder, Daniel. Where is he? Andrew was now in front of me, jabbing his finger into my chest, as if somehow I was the one that caused this. I don't... I started. That is bullshit! Andrew shoved me hard enough that I stumbled backwards and almost fell over. People don't just disappear. His rage quickly dissipated into worry as he walked over to where Kenny was just a few moments before and dropped to his knees. We have to leave now. Tell the police what happened. I don't know. We can't just abandon him out here, Andrew. We have to keep going. It was Lauren that spoke this. The steely look on her face, much different than the one she was wearing only a minute ago. She was right. If we left right now, Kenny might as well be dead. He still might be dead, but if we keep going, maybe we can find those creatures again and try to strike a deal. There was nothing I wanted more than to leave this forest and never come back. But at this point, we didn't have a choice. Maddie looked up for the first time since the dark men arrived, her entire face red and tears staining her cheeks. When she spoke, her voice cracked and she sniffed to try to stop her nose from running, to no avail. I don't want to. I just want to go home. She was defeated, and I didn't blame her. However, unless she wanted to walk back through the woods alone, she was going to have to get through it. Kenny needed us. I'm sorry, Maddie. I know you're scared. We all are. But we have to do this right now. We have to. We have to. I repeated it twice. Once for Maddie, and once for myself. She looked back at me like a little kid being told she was going to be spanked. But she nodded her head, and let out another burst of tears before eventually standing on her own. Without giving myself any more time to think about it, I walked up to the third gate, put my hand on it, and walked around to the other side. The others followed me, if hesitantly. The road that we had been walking on disappeared directly on the other side of the third gate, strangely enough. So we were back to walking through wooded terrain and keeping our eyes out to whatever may lurk in the trees. I had taken point in Kenny's absence, Maddie staying constantly at my side, followed by Andrew and Lauren. 
we walked in a tight square forward. It was odd, but for some reason I just knew where to go. It was as if I was being guided, but by a force that was unseen or unfelt. I found myself making turns around certain trees and crossing over a small stream at one point that would have been much easier to just walk alongside. The tapping that I had been feeling on my shoulder previously was also getting stronger and harder to ignore. It was persistent now, and the taps were becoming harder and more painful. I could tell that the others were feeling something similar, even though nothing was being said between them. All three of my companions would occasionally grimace, and hold a section of their body or spin their head to look in a direction that had no calling to it. To their credit, especially poor Maddie, no one said a word. We ventured in silence for about 15 more minutes before we heard a scream. It was off in the distance, maybe 50 yards away I would guess, but with the lack of other sound, it was really hard to tell. Andrew and Lauren started running towards the sound that called for help, and I was soon to follow. They were slightly ahead of us, and when we passed into a clearing, the two in front of us stopped on a dime, nearly causing Maddie and I to run straight into their backs. Andrew's hand clamped over his mouth, and Lauren turned to vomit. I looked past them, and saw my own mother being stabbed repeatedly by what I can only describe as a monster. It was pitch black, like a shadow, with curled blades for hands and lanky canine-looking legs bent in directions that didn't make any sense. Mom! I screamed, mine almost as blood-curdling as hers. I rushed forward and tried to tackle the creature attacking my mother, but right as I was about to lay into it, it too disappeared right in front of my eyes. I turned to find my mother, but she had been replaced with the face of another. An old man, with blood running down his lips, looking at me with a devilish smile. He licked his lips as he stared at me, and then vanished himself. It took me a minute before I could move again. I had no idea what was real. Was this all a hallucination? It couldn't be, because clearly everyone else saw the same thing as I did. I had no answers, nor any semblance of a clue what to make of the events that had happened. I fought back the urge to scream and vomit, and walked back to our group. What are we going to do, you know, if we find him? Andrew said, his eyes still trained on the ground, where we had just seen two more beings disappear. We are going to fucking kill whoever took him. Lauren spoke up, everything about her turned to ice. It almost made me more uncomfortable seeing the sweet, pretty girl who enjoyed watching makeup tutorials on YouTube and flirting with boys on Twitter look as hardened and shut off emotionally than it did seeing the spirits. Almost. With a new sense of pace, we started back on the trail, my flashlight flicking back and forth between the trail in front of me and the trees beside me even more often now, and it wasn't long before we reached the fourth gate. Or at least, I think it was the fourth gate. There actually wasn't a gate at all, but only a prominent mark in the ground, like someone had run their finger through wet concrete and moulded it that way. I just knew that it was, however. I knew we were getting deeper into the game. Closer to hell, I suppose. 
And this is where I'll stop in part 2 of I Visited the Seven Gates of Hell written by Dakota Vought. All credit of this story of course goes to Dakota Vought and I will include their Reddit link in the episode notes. I really like how the characters are designed in this story. Not only are they believable, but they have a certain attitude to them that really cements them in the world that they're written into. The dialogue from each of the characters serves to separate one from the other quite clearly, and the clear dynamic in the group, from leader to follower to the one who is sensitive to ghosts and spirits, really adds a sense of depth to the story, enriching it and making it stand out. For me, I sometimes have a hard time getting immersed in a story, and it's stories written like this that really pulls me in. People behaving like people is surprisingly hard to imitate in a narrative form, and including dialogue that both pushes the story along and makes it interesting at the same time is a feat in itself. This is one of those stories that keeps you interested, has you siding with the protagonist, and enjoying the company of the other three characters. Very well written, Dakota Vought. So my question is, where the hell is Kenny? Now, I haven't read the rest of the story. I like to experience it with you all. So I'm stuck here at part two, wondering what the hell happened to him. Now, at this point, I'm going to guess. My guess would be that Kenny is in on this. Otherwise, why else would he be smiling? And otherwise, how else would he know the way? Sure, he could guess and sure, it could be by chance. But I think Kenny knows a lot more than his friends would ever realize. Do you think Kenny is in on this? Or do you think it's just unfortunate that his machismo got him kidnapped? Let me know. I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. Stick with me Wednesday, mates, and I'll continue this awesome story. I'm really enjoying it. Also, a huge thank you to all the iTunes reviews coming in. I really appreciate it. If any of you are wondering how to leave an iTunes review, all you have to do is click on leave iTunes review on SoundCloud or find me on Google, typing in stories, fables, ghostly tales, and you'll see me there on iTunes. Click the podcast logo and bam, just as easy as that to leave a review. Apple doesn't always make it easy, but that's the fastest way to do it. And I appreciate every single one of those reviews. Thank you so much. And please leave a comment so I can thank you in the shout outs. As sometimes, without comments, I can't tell who to thank, and I really want to thank you. Alright my ghouls and ghasts, have a fantastically devilish Monday, and I'll see you Wednesday. For more of the story, I visited the Seven Gates of Hell. As always, till next time.